Internet, what is up? I don't know about the rest of you guys, but don't blink because the summer is almost over. We are rapidly approaching Labor Day weekend. And I don't know about you, but I don't know where the hell this year went. This year, 23? I thought 22 went by fast. 23 blazed by. And here we are. It's almost Labor Day. Which means, sadly, for those of us that live in Winterfell, that uh, (laughs) winter is upon us. Some of us are happy about that. Cato is a sick in the head individual and he can't wait to get back on his skis again. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, gee, fucking good God, I'm glad I'm going to Australia for the winter. Anyway, let's get down to uh, business. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Geyser Systems. And who is Geyser Systems? Geyser Systems is owned by our good friend, Jonathan Ballesteros. I think I I think I said that right, Jonathan. If I didn't, I'm sorry, I fucked up. Anyway, uh, Jonathan is our guest on the podcast today. So we are doing an ad read for Geyser Systems, and it's his company. And he makes a shower system for camping or overlanding adventures. And he and I, as you guys will hear from the podcast, had a great podcast. And we had a great discussion on how he started the company. But he makes a great product. If you're in the market for a shower that you can basically pack up and take with you, then this product is definitely for you. And uh, they're a Colorado-based company. Go check them out at geysersystems.com or at geysersystems in all of the places that you will do social media. IG, Facebook, etc. They have a variety of products. They make a shower system that's heated and they make a shower system that you heat with your jet boil stove. And then in addition to that, they have a bunch of little accessories. They have different colored sponges. So you can wash dishes, you can wash yourself, you can wash the dog, you can wash the car, whatever you need to wash. You can have your own little color coded sponge. And then in, in addition to that, they have some pretty cool little soaps that come in these little cube sizes that you can shove in your sponge. And then as you run the water through there and the water courses through the sponge, it dissolves the soap and pushes the soap through the sponge to wash with. So it's pretty clever stuff. Um, he's also been a product uh, that's that's carried currently in REI. So he's, uh, he's doing good. And the product line is great. And we're happy to have him as a friend and, and talk about his company. So enjoy the podcast and this is episode 53 with Jonathan Ballesteros Yeah, but so anyway, like I was saying, he's he just like he loosened up after a couple of beers, but like really stiff, really rigid. And I've had a couple of people like that, where we just hit our hundred episode after two years doing this. Like we do, we do guests on Mondays, and then on Wednesdays I have what's called um, Weapons Free Wednesday, which is uh, people always ask me like, what does that mean? Um, so Weapons Free is a it's a military rule of engagement that you are allowed to kill everything in the target box or in the in the immediate area at your discretion so it's a it's a it's a metaphor for ranting for talking you know uh, uh, you know it's basically like we're going to attack any 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 given topic at our discretion and that's usually just me by myself like answering q and a from the audience or like ranting about something that upset me on the news or ranting about any socio political thing and and that's what wednesdays every other wednesday so we've got Monday will be a guest, and then the following Wednesday will be a weapons-free Wednesday, and so that's what uh, our format has been. I like that. And we've been doing that for. Did we just hit our two-year mark? Fuck yeah! Yeah. So it's been 
it's been a super fun journey. Um, one of my good friends, he was just on our, I had him as a guest on our hundredth episode, um, Matt Vincent. He's a two time Highland games champion and he, you know, pro athlete. Um, and he injured himself, um, over the course of his career really bad and had to get nine knee surgeries and just then eventually got his knee replaced. But just like that whole journey, he started, like he realized his career in athletics was over. And so that really crushed him because that was his identity. And then he just documented everything via YouTube on his journey. And just, we met, we got introduced through a mutual friend and he just, he's turned out to be one of my best friends and a mentor and just has a super positive attitude and amazing, amazing human. Sweet, sweet. So yeah. So, but uh, anyway, let's dive into. We're here at uh, the the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> yeah, Overland Expo. Yeah, yeah. And so, just a little backstory for the audience. You and I met randomly at this little. It was you know like a kind of a really mini version of this that I think could be probably good if they do a better job marketing it in the future. But it was this like a mini expo that they had in. Um, up in just East Ogden at um, at what it was a snow snow basin ski resort. Yeah, yeah. So I, my friend Keegan, who is going to be on the podcast pretty soon, I think next week. He's the sales director over at CBI Off Road, and he posted on his Instagram like, "Oh, hey, this trade show's going on." And you know, I was just down an hour and fifteen minutes south of that, so I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm going to go check it out." And so I went up there and was walking around and just there was nobody there, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it's a really great show. If you're attending to not fight crowds of people, but if you're a vendor, it really sucks. Cause you're just like, you spend a lot of money probably to be there. And then you're sitting there bored in your booth for hours. So I was just walking the show and I ran into, I went to the equipped booth and started talking to the equipped folks and you were there with Drew and with Rob and some of the other crew from equipped Yeah, having a drink. And I started rattling on about, <laughs> my amazing experiences in Australia as of recently. And you kind of had this smirk on your face and <laughs> yeah, you're I listening, did. you know, you did a great job listening to the story. And then I was talking about how much I love troopies. And I was like, Oh man, the 76 series Land Cruiser troopies are fucking amazing. And, and then you were also like well, the ones with the pop up top. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then I think it was Rob was standing next to you and Rob goes, yeah, don't know where I've ever seen one of those before. And he's like looking over my shoulder and I like turn around and I was that guy. I was like, no situational awareness, which is unusual for me. But I turn around and I see this troopy sitting there with a the tin popped. Yeah. And then what really, really got me is I like scanned down and I saw the New South Wales license plate. And I was like, oh, you motherfuckers, you know, and I turn around <laughs> and then you guys started laughing and thought it was great. And then you and I, you're like, yeah, that's mine. And then you and I started talking and as it turns out, we had some interesting like we've had some similar journeys yeah so very similar but it was really funny because um that troopy was like the beginning of a very important story for me and so you know most people are just taking pictures of it but very few actually asked as many questions as you did about well what happened? Like, what's what 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 happened in that vehicle? And I, I shook my head and I'm like, you would not believe what happened in that vehicle. Could blow your mind. But we uh, you know, we just started talking and sharing about that. And yeah, I noticed several details about the vehicle <laughs> that I was like, this thing's seen some shit. And I bet the guy driving it has seen some shit too. So I was like, all right, yeah. let's 
let's have it. And that's kind of the premise for the podcast is, you know, um, I get asked all the time, like, what's your podcast about? And, you know, the bottom line is like, I started out just interviewing my friends that were veterans, but then I started branching out because I wanted it to be diverse and interesting and bring in large groups of people, um, from all walks of life. And I, you know, to kind of take a page out of Joe Rogan's book, you know, I'll, I'll have a conversation with anybody. And that's just kind of where I'm at now where I'm like, everybody's got a story. What's yours? Yeah. yeah. And so you and I had a really great conversation and you told me some cool stuff. And so, yeah, I'm like, we are definitely podcasting. And okay. So know, and, and I, and I felt really comfortable because yeah. I mean, I shared a lot of things that I normally wouldn't. So yeah. here we are. We're at that beautiful moment once yeah. again. So, yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and take a minute to introduce yourself and talk about who you are and how we got here. Yeah. Yeah. So Jonathan Ballesteros, uh, in the overlanding community, I'm pretty well, well known as the water shaman or the plumber, but I'm the guy who invented a way to take a hot shower using 0.8 gallons of water. You can actually use that amount of water to shower two people. Oh, wow. And um, we do this through a really cool product that was launched three years ago called the Geyser System. And, uh, and yeah, um, that's me in a professional capacity. Um, and there's quite a bit more on a more personal capacity, but um, for the overwhelming majority of my life, I say I've got two great commitments. It's number one being a, a great steward of a great company with great purpose and strong values. And then also being the husband of my wife, Lisa Holland, who is like a hero in my mind, but you can interview her for her, her story. I would so, love yeah. to interview her. I could already <laughs> tell she's, she's sparky. She's got something about her. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to talk to her too. Probably. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, that is at a very high level. Um, background um on a more personal level i love i mean it's no no surprise i love all things water so i'm a yacht master i've sailed and organized sailing trips around the world i'm a master diver as well as a free diver i've uh done quite a bit of that um in australia we connected quite a bit about that did a lot of spearfishing along the coast which i really love to do um and yeah um not a lot of people know about this i don't necessarily care to brag about it but i was voted number one extraordinary gentleman in austin texas one year which oh nice what does that entail like, that how, was, how do you even get in the running for that I, I, well, so i was i was just talking about it with my best <laughs> friend he and i were just complaining about like you know just Austin being a great place, uh, we, 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 we were having a complaint and he just like decided to put me in the running for, for this opportunity. I'm like, dude, nothing's going to come out of that. Well, sure enough, uh, I get a phone call from Austin monthly magazine a couple weeks later and like, we'd like to interview you. And, uh, I was like, oh my gosh. And I said, well, before this interview happens, I want to interview somebody that was in the top 10 the previous year. And the guy, he and I were talking, and he's like, it's a good thing. It's a really cool thing. It's a lot of fun, and it is a big honor. So I show up at this interview at Awesome Monthly Magazine, and uh, I I said some things that were really personal, and I walked out thinking, like, that was the worst interview I've ever had in my entire life. And sure enough, the two ladies who interviewed me were like, we want you to be one of the top ten. And I said, 
all right, cool. And then a couple months later, Austin voted me number one. And, and I'll tell you, it was really crazy. Cause like, I got a chance, I got a chance to taste what like that level of fame, uh, entails. And I, uh, I'll say that it's, it's really, really bizarre what happens mm. and what, what happens to people when they get that much of attention. And, uh, anyway, I, the, one of the best moves that I've ever done in my life was uh, pulling all my close guys' friends, my four closest guy friends, and I pulled them in, and I'm like, hey, guys, come over for a beer and dinner. And so before anything I announced, I told them, I was like, hey, this is about to happen. And they're like, oh, my God, no way. This would be great. And Everybody I was like, stoked. they were pretty excited. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, listen, I have no idea what this is all about. I don't know where it's going to go, but I just want you guys to know that our friendship and the kind of friend that I'm in your lives is not going to change. You guys are just going to come along for the ride because mm. a big part of why I'm here is because of, of the things that we've shared and done together. And I'm so glad I did that because, um, you know, I, I, I saw kind of opportunities to do and see a lot of crazy things. But, uh, you know, they were, they were like my, my ground, you know, and, uh, there's a lot of things that I saw that were like, this is an, an illusion. This is not, this is not who I am. It doesn't fall in line with my values. And so, I mean, I walked out of Lance Armstrong's mansion on a great, huge, beautiful party. And it was 20 minutes into the party where I was like, no, nah, this is not for me. I'm going to go back and have a couple beers, beers with my boys. And so, and, uh, they were like, where are you going? And I'm like, no, I'm, this is just not my, not my thing. I'm going to go hang out with my guys. And so, and I came back and, and guys were like, how was the party? And I'm like, this is not even worth mentioning. It's just not for me. And I just saw stuff at that level of fame that it's just like, mm -mm, I don't, I don't need beautiful lights, fancy liquor. I don't need any of this stuff to drive the quality of my life. The quality of my life are through my relationships and and through my commitments. And so I see a lot of people get really drawn by all of that. And it's just like, it could, hey, if it's for them, it's cool. I, I'm not here to judge. But for me, it's just not the, not the path I wanted to take. So Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I would be in alignment with that statement. I've, I've seen some of my friends get a lot of attention um, in our small industry, in the defense industry, and to where we can't go to a trade show without people, like, running up to them and taking pictures every 10 feet and wanting them to, like, you know, autograph stuff for them. And, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to lose my anonymity. Yeah. And I, I luckily, even though we're growing here and we continue to grow, you know, we're still tiny. We're still tiny and insignificant on YouTube and, and the podcast is pretty big. I have not luckily been recognized as of yet, which I'm excited <laughs> about. I'm actually excited about that because I do not want to lose my anonymity. I like being able to th float through whatever area, whatever people I'm hanging out with completely un unmolested and unpursued. And I, I enjoy that. I enjoy yeah. being able to walk around and not have that problem. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm completely with you. I would not... I've, I've often looked at like celebrity lives and like how much attention they get and how they have paparazzi following them all the time and all the bright lights and all of the cameras in their face constantly. And I'm like, the only time I want a camera in my face is like when we're working, you know, like when <laughs> right now, like this is the only time, you know, I don't want cameras in my face constantly. I don't want people following me. I don't want people taking 
pictures of me without me knowing it. Like I just, I don't want that life at all. So yeah. I'm completely 110% on board with that. Yeah. And it's really funny too. Cause like people that you've never met before, like they'd look at you in the middle of like a grocery store and they have like this really funny look on their face. It happened to me many times in Austin when I was living in Austin mm-hmm. and I moved out of Austin as a result of a lot of things. But, but I remember like walking through like a whole foods and I was just like, people would look at me like for five seconds longer and it'd be awkward. And then you would see this light bulb go over their head and they'd all of a sudden smile or, or like this, this, this girl would be getting nervous talking to me and I just cut it to them straight. I'm like, listen, here's the deal. Like, yeah, this happened, but I've got complaints in my life. I got problems in my life and they're, and they're just the same as yours. You know, like they're like, I'm no, I'm not at a different level. Like, like I'm, there's no sunshine, butterfly, lollipops hanging out over here. Like I like to keep it real with people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I chose that path because, um, yeah, very well can happen to you one day where people are going to be relating to you in a way where it's like their defenses are not there. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden there's this real generous level of trust where you're like, Okay, cool. And it's, and it's, it's an honor. I mean, it is an honor to represent a group of people. It really is. But, but, uh, I think people quickly forget, well, the reason why you got that honor is because of the level of integrity and the way you hold yourself. They, like, they want somebody like that to speak on their behalf. Yeah. And it's, anyway, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of things happened there, but that's, that's that's the prehistory let's just say so yeah yeah well i try to i try to make sure we stay very authentic and on this you know for what we're doing it's very important to me and i've said it, i've talked about it a million times on other podcasts and other times where i've been a guest on somebody else's podcast about the value of one vulnerability but also the value of authenticity yeah it's super super important cuz so many times like everything in our world now revolving around social media there's people out there that are just faking their lives. Like, you know, they'll go out and rent a Ferrari and, you know, put on a suit, pay the, you know, thousand bucks or whatever to rent the Ferrari and drive it around and make it look like that's their life, you know? And it's just like, I just, I can't, I can't get on board with that. I can't subscribe to the, the whole fake life, fake smile, fake, the fake everything that some people do on social media. Like I have to like, I'm going to be absolutely a hundred percent, authentic authentic and transparent uh through this whole process like yeah. no matter how no matter how much we grow or how big we get like it'll always be authenticity first yeah you yeah know? vulnerability yeah. and authenticity like you were saying like i'm a normal person you know i've got normal problems i have normal things going on in my life i have stresses i just have tools that i've learned you know and this is part of my message through my platform is to like help people have a better life or give them advice or like you know um point them in a direction that's going to be beneficial for them you know yeah because um you know helping people is what is what i'm about and so sharing my story sharing my um, perceptions of things to help people you know because a lot of people are afraid you know we don't live in terrific times right now so a lot of people are afraid a lot of people have a lot of self-doubt a lot of fear and they let that control them and they will stay stuck yeah 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 for sure and uh I guess where this podcast can turn was um, the story 
my story is one in which I was stuck. I was stuck. Did, had, did Austin happen before or after? Uh, it happened before. Before, okay. Yeah, so so here's the backstory, right? Um, I was planning to live abroad all my life. Mm-hmm. I practically grew up abroad. and uh, But I had an opportunity of a lifetime to work at Dell Computers. And uh, I absolutely love my job. And so one of the things that I tell people is that I'm a factory guy. I love factories. I've been mm-hmm. working in stainless steel mills, valve plants, um, and uh, medical device factories, just plants all over the world. I don't know why, but I just geek out about a team of people coming together to make cool miracles happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, Dell offered me a job that was like amazing. I was an ops manager for the bottleneck of the Topper manufacturing plant, 23,000 computers a day, morning shift, 55 amazing human beings. And, uh, and so instead of living abroad, I decided I was going to stay in Austin because I loved, loved, loved Austin before it got really big. Any rate, um, hopped over to a great company in the medical device side of things. Um, got the honor to work alongside Dr. Jean Velosco, um, who was a great inspirational and, uh, influential person in my life. And, uh, I just really grinded as hard as I could for for that guy really loved him his team what the company was out to achieve in advanced surgical instruments and I just was hungry for opportunity and so I just took on a whole lot but obviously all of that looked like being overworked and uh and uh once Austin got a little too big for me I decided you know what like I might as well live in San Francisco and I don't know why that thought like really uh, picked me up and took me places, but it did. And I worked at a great company, Stryker Neurovascular, for a year in the San Francisco South Bay area, more more specifically. And um, it was it was awesome. But by that point in time in my life, I had been really really stuck. And unbeknownst to the people in that company. People didn't know that I was going through a really, really dark night of the soul. Mm. So PTSD was catching up to me. Um, I had I had a couple matters that were like, look, this is 10 years old. Therapist said I'm good. <laughs> and yeah. now they're coming back. And I don't even know why. Maybe it was because of the nature of the emergency procedures that I was chasing after. I was on stroke call all the time. And hospitals all over the world. <laughs> and it was, uh, and, uh, it was just... I was burnt out and, um, and I think what I was really trying to do was trying to find a sense of home. Um, I told myself before I moved out to San Francisco, it was like, if I don't feel that in one year, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to, after one year, um, make a, a big move in my life. And it was literally on the day. I will never forget. It was August 7th. On the day that I moved into San Francisco, it was the day that I moved out. I didn't last. And at that time, in 2016, August, I I had a, a couple of limiting options in my life. I had... I was starting to drink uh, a lot, and that was a lot to me. Um, but that looked too much like my, my father, who is an alcoholic. And that was a red flag over my head. Um, I had some friends who were taking antidepressants, and I saw what that course of life took. And um, 
that may have helped a whole lot, maybe even some members of this audience. But um, for me, it was not a path that really made sense. And the last option, which looked pretty simple, easy, and like, I don't know, was suicide. I mean, and I don't mind sharing that with people, but I was, I was, I was considering that for a long time. And it was yeah, I think around. that I think that a lot of people won't talk about it, but I think I think it I think at one point in time or another, depending on what kind of life you've had, a lot of people have like looked looked that direction. I've I've definitely I'm I should not be sitting here. I I, I yeah, survived same. I survived my own attempt. So like I I know exactly how all of that you know how all that looks and how all that feels and what. You know, the people that want to judge that and sit on the outside of that and be like, oh, I would never do that. Or how could you do that to your family or, your, you know, your kids or your loved ones or whatever? Or like, how could you be that selfish? Like, people don't understand the level of pain that you're in when you get to that place Absolutely. where you, you just want it to stop and you don't care about it. And you start justifying it. Like, for me, I was rationalizing things where I'm like, oh, my family's doing okay. They'll be okay. My son will be okay. He's got a good life. Like, I just started... I just started telling myself to justify it, that it was good. Like everybody's going to be okay. And I can't do this anymore. And I need to check out. Yeah. And I started rationalizing and that's where, you know, you, when you get to that level, people don't understand how, how, where the bottom actually is and how far you can sink. And when you show up there, it seems like the best idea in the world. And you don't think about any of the other rep repercussions. Cause you, at least in my experience, I was rationalizing it. I was like, Nope, everybody will be okay. Nobody needs me. Everybody's living their perfect life without me anyway. Like, I don't need to be here. Yeah. And two things. Number one, like, I had a lot of tools that were really helpful in creating a level of self-examination mm -hmm. and really, like, choosing powerfully, like, where is your life going to go? And it was really confusing because none of those tools were helping me yeah. at the time. And um, I was I was also very confused by the fact that, like, I couldn't necessarily talk to anyone in fact like many people who probably have felt stuck in their life once or one time or another like you're gonna isolate yourself even more which i understand is like the last thing that you want to do but here's the thing you want to show up and have a very positive influence on the people around you yeah. you know and um and uh because i mean those moments and those memories are really short and so having something in the background like really gnawing at you it's uh it's it's a very confusing place to be and now looking back you know i knew that i was in a dangerous place like like it it, it blows my mind and i have a greater level of faith as a result of how so to speak protected i was mm -hmm. because now i've got so much empathy for people who are drug addicts in the streets right i could have easily been that guy hooked on fentanyl because mm -hmm. I was in a place where like, look, I just want to, I don't care what it takes. I want this shit to stop. Yeah. And if you're reaching for substances, then I mean, it could have been any substance. It could have been a bottle of wine. It could have been a tab of acid at Burning Man and you, or it could have been some other thing that came your way. And so looking back, I felt like the best thing I could do to myself was was I, I I tried to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. My family was like, dude, you got problems. You got to go fix them. And that put me 
in an even worse spot because now like okay like number one i was there for them and now i'm like the the reciprocation's not there yeah that that now I've got double duty. I got double problems. You know, I got a family who is not going to be there for me when I really needed their help. So and, let's touch on that for a second. Cause yeah, I had sure. the exact same experience. So like, um, how did that make you feel? Like when you're at that bottom, super low, dark place and you just need somebody to be there and they're not like what, and they're your family. What did that, how did that make you feel? Yeah. Pull the trigger. Yeah. Straight up. Like, okay, well then what am I, I'm single. I've got no sense of family, none in the future, none that like I and, and the girls that I'm dating like, n- n- no, like no, we're not, we're not on the same frequency, and then my past family, they don't give two craps about me, hmm. and and it hurts, it hurts, it hurts when you gave them a shoulder to cry on, like. You are consistently there. You drive for hours to show up because you know they're going through a big, tough time in your life. But when you just need a simple freaking phone call and you're like, hey, look, I really need help. You even like you're that vulnerable, like I'm in trouble. And they're just like my mother. She was like, you got problems. Go fix them. And I was, I, I remember looking at my phone and it was like 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 it was it's like that's now i've got i've got two problems in my hands you know and my dad i mean he he couldn't even hear me he's so yeah he couldn't hear me at all and then yeah it was just it was it was a lot and um so how's your relationship with him now i'm still i still have an estranged relationship with my mother to this day. And that was actually prior to what kicked off in a strange relationship. Yeah. You know, my father, he and I really talk at a very high level. We love each other. Um, my brother, you know, we, we've, we've had our moments of separation, but we've also had our moments of togetherness as well. And it's, and it's a really good thing. I, in the end, still find a way to love my family, even my mother, despite the fact that I don't talk to her. And I don't want to talk to her. I really don't. Um, not in the, not in the condition that she's in. It just doesn't work. Like her values and her goals, my values and my goals, are not the same. And it's just not healthy for either one of us to be in communication. And I had to find a way to feel complete and whole with this incomplete relationship. Because I mean, a lot of the ways we create new possibilities in our life, a lot of that is highly dependent i don't want to say this is true but i think it's highly dependent on how complete you are with your parents and so a way to feel complete with your parents is by having a conversation with them right well what happens when that conversation is not possible what happens when your parents are 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 going through a mental handicap of their own whether that be alcoholism or narcissism or whatever that may be in the world. I'm living exactly what you're describing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can completely understand what you're, what you're talking about. And so the, the, there was a moment I'm about to alter course here. If that's okay. Yeah. Go for it, man. So I'm in, so San Francisco Bay area, for those of you who don't know, it's like, it's like a freaking parking lot at 5 p.m. Like if, and I had this F650 GS car series, my dream bike. 
I love that bike. And so I would take it to cut the lanes and get around town. And so, um, so I'm chilling. Um, at any rate, I'm, I'm going to a place on the other side of San Francisco Bay area. I'm in the South Bay, Sunnyvale. I'm going to Oakland to catch up with a, a friend. And, uh, and so it was it, because of all the driving, you have to kind of plan ahead. You can't just be spontaneous. Hey, I'll see you in five minutes. Nope. So two weeks goes by and, and we're, we agree to meet up for, for drinks. And so I show up at this pizza bar with him and I sit down and I just said, listen, dude, I'm going to just own it. All right. I'm dealing with some depression and I'm showing up here tonight because I said I'd be here but I'm going to own the fact that I'm not, you're not going to see me in my happiest mood tonight. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm having a really hard time struggling working with this. And he said something that um, really altered the course of my life. He's like, well, what's going on? I'm like, I got this PTSD that's resurfacing. And he, and he and I did not really talk about it in great depth. And he's like, well, there's this really interesting new documentary about my girl and I just saw last night about uh, how to heal PTSD. And I'm like, well, what's that? He goes, ayahuasca. And I'm like, I've never heard of that. And he's like, you need to check it out. It's, it's a game-changing method for helping people. And so that night, I was, for lack of better terms, possessed. That night, I did all this research and I found all these different places where a ceremony can happen. I applied. The next morning, I got a reply from one of them who accepted me into an upcoming ceremony. I had already tickets to go to Peru. No, excuse me. I had tickets to go to Chile. And uh, I canceled those tickets. It was going to be a vacation trying to escape the world for a little while. And I uh, canceled those tickets. I went to Peru instead, went to the Amazon jungle in Iquitos. And for 10 days, I had five ceremonies. And after the first ceremony, the three huge things that were driving me nuts in life were gone. And it's been seven years since my first ceremony. And the matters that were bothering me have never resurfaced. Now, not, that doesn't mean that news there's not doesn't mean that the work stopped, but the matters that I that were about to end my life kept me going. And when I came back from that, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I I I didn't I I I knew I needed to take care of myself, but I didn't have the guts. I didn't have the heart. And so I came back from Peru. And I pulled my boss over and I said, I'm here to resign. I'm going to give six weeks because I really love this project that I'm in and I want to see it through and I'm going to complete it. And on the other side of the six weeks or whatever it takes to complete this project, I, I'd like to uh, discontinue my employment. And he's like, so you don't have like a job in the background? I was like, no. And he's like, you you're going to just quit a job and not work anywhere. And I'm like, I'm going to sell everything I own and I'm going to need to take a break. And he's like, what does that look like? And I'm like, and I, and I'm like, I really don't have any idea, but I think I'm going to go to Australia and just live in the back of a van for a while. Okay, great. So on that note, okay, that's, 
this is this is so this is a great place to stop because <laughs> I want to rewind and go back because I have questions. So great, fucking great. I like where this is going for sure. So then what? <laughs> so let me ask you this then. Yeah, what, sure. What was the what was the root of the PTSD? Like what was the event that caused the PTS? Oh boy. Um, I have to ask these questions because my audience will be like, "What? We don't even know what was what was the story? What was the backstory? Why didn't you ask him the backstory? Why? What? What? What happened to him?" I um. I, I I can't believe I'm talking about this, but um. Background story: My mom's from Soviet Union. My dad's from Spain. Um they always found it important for my brother and I to be educated. And what that also looked like is not just book smarts, but seeing the world. We grew up very adventurous. Um, since I could remember, I was on a plane alone, flying out to Spain to be with my family for the summer and then flying back alone, which had its own set of issues. According to some family therapists, it's like being dropped off at a orphanage. But nonetheless, like smuggling entire legs of ham as a kid in my little rollerblade boots because they smelt like hell. So, so that journey, all of all of it's and it, you know what? It's really funny because I wouldn't say I never worked for anyone. I really didn't, but I was always at the right place at the right time, asking the right questions meeting interesting people then i'm like what is going on here something's up and i think a lot of things one of the interesting things about ptsd is that it and a lot of people don't know this is that look you don't need to have like a a, a gun pointed to your head in order to have a ptsd moment it could be something that uh, on the surface doesn't really look violent but it could quickly turn into that and just the likelihood of that level of danger could induce the mental stress that um yeah just turns a person mental you know and so for me i had yeah just super close calls yeah no you're absolutely correct like um people you know it's not combat and violence are not it it's not that's not a mutually exclusive thing for ptsd like right like you can see something you don't even have to be involved you can be standing on the side of the street and all of a sudden like somebody does a drive-by and smoke checks the person next to you and you watch their head explode pts like you could be involved in a car accident and get your face slammed into a you know a glass windshield and wake up in the er pts like you can right there's so many things and then you know in line with what you're saying like you know, we all, it's my belief that we all suffer the same. So you can't, we all grieve and suffer the same. So like you can't, you know, some, sometimes people are like, oh, when I'm interviewing somebody, they're like, oh, well, your, your trauma is so much more worse than mine. No, it's, that's not necessarily true. It's, that's, yeah, that's it's, it's it. based on perspective. Like right. you, the wor like you, the worst thing that's ever happened to you, like, yeah, maybe you saw somebody get killed and that's like your Mount Everest. You know, and, and me, maybe like I was in a car accident and really bad car accident and was lucky to live and like had a bunch of broken bones and a bunch of surgeries. And that was my Mount Everest. But the, the, the level of suffering and grieving we did was relatively the same. So 
Um, and and what's really tough is that society doesn't have a lot of mechanisms to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's amongst men. I don't want to say that they're that it, it's it, that men's version of PTSD is different from from women, but I think a lot of it is just like how how does one navigate a, a, a really difficult experience? And we don't sit around the campfire amongst older men passing a pipe tobacco or whatever, and and hearing a wise man who sees us, who sees who we truly are, Mm -hmm. you know, after my events, I went to a therapist and, and, and I just told her like, look, this is the way I see it. You know, like if a person says I'm here to kill you, then it's up to me to disable that person. If, and, and that doesn't mean they have to do anything. They don't even have to point a gun to my head. They just simply use the words. I'm going to kill you. Okay. Now, if I'm, if you have another guy that's going to say, if I'm, going to come up to you and say i'm going to kill your kid yeah you're going to disable me you're going to make sure that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. just because i said those words if i said i'm going to kill your neighbor okay you're going to you're going to make sure that doesn't happen you don't you you like your neighbors you know okay i'm going to take out your town i'm going to take out your country okay so there's people around the world who are saying flat out, I'm going to take you out. You don't need any other action. We don't need to wait. Hmm. Anyone who verbally says, I'm going to bomb your city. And if you truly sanctify life, if you truly sanctify life, you have to disable the one who doesn't sanctify life. Hmm. And, 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 and when I told that to my therapist, and I said, and, and so she's like, so how did you handle it? It's like, all I'm doing is sanctifying life. This person who's committed their life to taking out our country is, is, is saying things that would not sanctify life. And then I, at, at some point you learn like, well, what's a country, you know, like, and what's a language and especially in America. I mean, come on, like I get it, jurisdiction and borders and all that stuff. And I get, we need to draw lines to keep stuff organized. But, but at the very end of the day, at the very end of the day, for me, it's a matter of one thing and one thing only does, does someone sanctify life? Do they honor life? This is a freaking gift. I don't know why I didn't grow up at I came to this earth as a human. I didn't come to this earth as a grasshopper. What a joy. And 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 to enjoy all of life including all the good and all the bad that comes with it. And so I told her like anyone who is out to kill other people will if in my in my theory, in my thought process, we got to take that person out. And yeah, and anyone else who's behind that person, anyone else, anyone else. Yeah, you have to dismantle the network because if you don't, you cut the head off of one snake, one other one will just continue to pop up unless you go to the den and you root out all the snakes and you kill right. all the snakes. So right. yeah, right. And then like, look, I I love different cultures. I speak different languages because I love that. I love all the different ways i mean i sometimes walk on this earth with an alien perspective and if you looked at my product you'd probably like say oh yeah it's radically different but my but but i really come on this earth and see like all the love and joy that's available but when one says i'm gonna kill you well then 
that's enough action. So, and people wait, people wait for the action. People wait, well, do I have to justify it with this person? Let me art, let me talk this one out with this person. Maybe I got to wait till they take a gun out. No, 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 no. You don't need to wait. The person said it. Those words are an action. That's enough. Hmm. Take it out. Yeah. And so when I told that to the therapist, she's like, oh yeah, you're good. You're, you're, you're a rock solid mind. And then 10 years later, like all of a sudden this ghost came back in my life and I was just like, what, where's this coming from? Yeah. Things got real heavy. It was weird. It was weird. Maybe it was because all the hard work that I was putting in my companies, that was allowing me to kind of kick that can down the road, but there was an unresolved deep matter that, uh, and there was no tools in society for me to really talk about it, or no wise men in my life for me to really talk about it. And I really kept it to myself. I really did. Cause I mean, who am I going to talk to about this matter? Mm. Like not a lot of people have, have got this life experience. No. And so, um, you know, so that's a lot of, that's the same thing, same kind of thing that veterans for the last 20 years of war, we kind of have the same perspective. Like, who yeah. am I going to talk to about this? Like, who's going to understand me about this? Like, I just had a talk with one of my best friends and he's still in the game, still doing the work and he's 26 years deep. And I'm like, you know, talking to him about his transition. Cause I'm like, bro, you still got to do the hardest part, which is transition out of this and start yeah. something new. Like your next mm -hmm. chapter of life, that off ramp and finding what your passion is next is going to be one of the hardest, most excruciating things. And I said, you're not doing yourself any favors mm. by continuing to stay in the game, hoping to avoid the transition. Cause that's a lot of what he's doing. He's mm. like, uh, he's still doing it because he can't, he can't, he doesn't know what he wants to do next. And I'm going to do everything in my power to like help him make that transition mm. as easy as possible because I wouldn't, it, it's excruciating. Yeah. So, and my friends were doing the same thing for me yeah. the entire time, by the way, they were like, Jonathan, get out of the job. And I was telling, I was like, listen, I don't run away from my problems. I run towards my solutions. Mm -hmm. So finding a new job in San Francisco, I thought was running towards a solution. But my friends were all telling me like, no, no, dude, you need to take a break. And, uh, you need to relax. And I was just like, you know, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not okay with it. And you know what? It just took me a long time. And now looking back, I see like, you know, my friends, not like I, I should have listened to them. It ended up being my path and I'm glad I'm really grateful for however it turned out. But I will say like for the friends, for those of you who are a friend for another, who's you see struggling if they're not listening to you, it's okay. <laughs> it's, right. Let just be patient. Keep working with them. Yeah. Keep showing up for them. Just keep showing up. Yeah. And, That's... and I mean, they're chosen family to me when I didn't have a family. Yeah. These are people who I love, you know? So, and so yeah. then, so then you are having this trauma. It's bubbling up. It's affecting you massively to the point where you're in this depression You've discovered now ayahuasca. You've done your research. You've gone to ceremony. Let's talk about the first ceremony. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Yeah. Where, where do you want me to go with that one? So you just tell me, just start where you first got, arrived at the retreat, yeah. at the facility. Yeah. So unfortunately, Don Howard is no more. Mm. Uh, Don Howard had a couple YouTube videos and, uh, 
and uh, with the very poor decision making that I made, which is sarcastic, I just felt like this is my only option. I, I really don't have any other way. If this does not work, then I don't know what will. You have to understand, I was living a super clean life. Like I did not smoke weed. Because I mean, I'm 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 working in the med device industry, so we're getting drug tested to walk into hospitals all the time, mm-hmm. which was a regular part of my job. I had I was C tracking. I mean, I was working at a company that really saw a lot of opportunity in what I could be, and I was being a global product manager for one of the most fastest, most exciting, most game changing, amazing products and and patient pathways, mechanical mechanical thrown back to me and stroke and I was I was getting a chance to work with some legends I mean like the the engineer who came with a stent retriever I mean he didn't really care for me to say the least and looking back I mean he and I butted heads and and he ended up being a great reason why I ended up going on this other alternative journey in the end but Ryan Granfield I mean despite the fact that he and I didn't really get along I love 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 his his mind, his genius, his approach. He's anyway the 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 guy goes down in my books as 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 a legend, despite the fact that he probably thinks I'm an absolute screw up, and that's okay. I still still really like him anyway. But long story short, I was in the Amazon jungle in Iquitos. Um, we did an hour long ride through the Amazon River to get into the middle of freaking nowhere. There's a bunch of tree houses all over in this real beautiful jungle setting. And what year was this? This is 2016. Okay. And uh, we actually, so that Don Howard let us feel comfortable the days coming up to the ceremony. He let us work with the plants, actually help him prepare. We actually saw the shamans boil it and, uh, and, and. And so fast forward, I'm in this Milonka with 30 other people from all over the world, some of them dealing with heroin addiction, some of them dealing with serious PTSD, some people who've got serious physical ailments or relationships with their family that are absolutely sideways. Some of them are newbies. Some of them have been to the same ceremony three times. And, uh, and I'm sitting in the dark with this candlelit setting with a bunch of shamans in the background and we're one by one drinking this vile, horrible tea. And I mean, ugh, and turn my stomach. And I'm, I got an iron stomach. I mean, I'm a sailor. Nothing really nothing really gets me to vomit. It, it takes an act of God for me to vomit. And uh, I was like, I'm having a tough time downing this stuff. And uh, But I just sit down and, yeah, I... I had a, I mean, I can tell you what the experience was like. I don't know if your audience would be interested in yeah, that. Yeah, no, I want to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> It's really funny. So, so, oh man. Um, so there's the dizzy spell and, and you're sitting down, you're closing your eyes, you're sitting up and I'm feeling the marea, the, 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 the dizziness. And I'm seeing all these really, complex shape causing me to feel a little bizarre and strange and feeling starting to feel a little seasick so I open my eyes every once in a while and then reclose them and focus my breathing and on my intention and 
And then out of nowhere, someone puked on what felt like on me. And I immediately jolted left. And I looked to my right thinking like the dude to the right of me, he like puked right into my face. And I, and he's sitting, he's standing perfectly still. And I'm like, what? I could have sworn someone's puking. And I'm looking across and there's a guy who's punt, who's like hanging over his bucket and he's puking, but he's, he's 50 feet away from me. And I'm like, what the heck? And then, and then I'm paying attention and all of a sudden, like the top half of my vision was going fast. The bottom half of my vision was going slow and everything was like, now it's starting to be inverted. And I'm like, oh no, this is okay. Now this is it. This is the thing that they're talking about. Um, and so I closed my eyes. So you had no experience with hallucinogenics until, until this? No. Okay. Went zero to hero. Shoot. Okay. I didn't even have a dieta. Okay. I did not even read my, I was so mentally ill that I didn't even read the instructions. I had five Pisco sours the night before I was supposed to arrive. Oh man. I had caffeine. When I arrived. I'm like, there's no coffee. And they're like, dude you don't know what the dieta is? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're not supposed to be having had any coffee for three weeks. And I'm like, you mean there's no coffee here? And they're laughing at me like, dude, you're screwed. <laughs> I, I, there's, there's a lot of things that I had done the previous three weeks that did not leave me prepared, but, and that didn't matter. It really, I mean, it did, but it didn't at any rate. So whatever I arrived. And up to that point, I have not, delved into anything serious anything of that nature i mean barely smoked barely barely smoked weed and was okay with it but typically made me paranoid so i typically avoided it and i just loved motorcycle riding which is great to do high but i really prefer doing it while not high (laughs) right So, so long story short uh yeah so long story short i'm in this ceremony and uh this green lady appeared and I was like, holy cow, this is mother ayahuasca. The mother. And I'm like nervous. Cause I was like, oh my God, uh, uh, this, this is the moment. And she's, she's looking at me with a grin and she's like, how's it going? <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I was so nervous. It's like this super hot chick. And I'm like, you know, like you're at a bar and you, you like, you're stuttering like some buffoon at a bar. And so I was just like, I had no calm. And so she's like, okay, uh, listen, you're obviously doing a weird thing. I I've got a lot of work to do tonight. So I'm going to leave you here. I'll come back in five and I'll let you continue doing your weird thing. And she like was making fun of me five minutes later. She's like, comes back and I'm like, just trying to puke. I'm getting dizzy all over. I can't even tell time. And she's like, how's it going? And, um, and and I'm stuttering some more and she's like, you're still doing that weird thing, dude. You got to stop. And, uh, and so she leaves for a while and I'm like, oh man, thank God. I was kind of like glad, like I was thinking like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to continue that conversation. I felt like really scared for some reason. And I just wanted to try to get out of this situation that I was in and thinking like, I could just puke this out and I'll be okay third time she comes around and by that time she comes around and the way she came was really funny like this door would open and there'd be this bright light and she would like be right there and like leaning against the door and she's looking at me like kind of like disappointed 
and she's just like smoking a cigarette or to the tobacco that we were smoking that night. And she's like, so Jonathan, really like, when are you going to stop doing this weird thing that you're doing? And I looked at her and I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you've got to, how am I going to help you? If you're not even going to defend yourself. And I'm like, what? Oh, the message. And she's like, you, you, you didn't, you didn't punch back the guys who beat the living shit out of you in high school. I got bullied a lot. I mean, I got, I got beaten up. She's like, you didn't defend yourself when you were in this kind of situation. You didn't, she's like, why the hell would I give two shits about you if you don't even care enough about yourself to defend yourself? And it left me for pause. And I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm here for, for some help. And she's like, I'm not going to help you. You're not, you're not, you're not going to be worth my help because it's not going to work until you really give a damn about yourself. And she closed the door and it went dark. And at that moment I said, Oh, beep okay i don't know if i can say that on your podcast yeah, yeah, yeah there's it's the internet you I, I, drop I, as many f bombs i was well. like oh fuck yeah and 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 i felt like i was going to be permanently mentally disabled as a result of this hallucinogen like i felt like it's never going to go away like i need to go back home and be some crazy mumbling guy in the corner of the street like cuz i i was convinced that this was like some personal permanent carnage that ayahuasca was doing which i had very little research in and uh and she opened up and i was like oh my god i'm screwed and she opens up the door again and she looks at me and she's like jonathan i was just kidding with you man let's just get out of here and have a good time and i'm like you kidding me she's like come on and she grabs me and off we go and it was like this best friend next school next door it was like this this girl next door like your best childhood friend who she and i we just we just took an amazing ride through all these different amazing scenes in outer space and everything and she and i were looking at planet earth and i asked her some hard questions and i could see like she was like you know what jonathan yeah like I, I really don't have an answer to that question, but you know what? You're going to be okay. She said things that I needed my family to tell me. Mm. I, I asked her the like, I came to her with three specific problems. I want these three things cleared up by my, by the end of my 10 days. And those three things I had asked her in that first ceremony and all of them were resolved. She said the perfect thing that I needed to hear that, anyone else would be like well that superficially would make sense that's what i would say to my friend but you know i just needed somebody to tell me those exact words that were very personal to me and uh and and at the end of that ceremony i walked out and i said i'm i'm good i'm good it's resolved it's done it it was whole and complete for me and um the other ceremonies afterwards were, <laughs> they were pretty scary. They were really bad. 
I, I made the mistake of going to Don Howard and saying like, you know, that was, that was an amazing experience. Could I, could I ask for a second cup? And he's like, at the moment, I'll look at you and I'll make a decision at the moment in the ceremony. And I drank a second cup the next ceremony. And that was a, that was a, an amazing mistake, but also an amazing profound gift that helped me realize a couple things about where I sit in the animal kingdom and especially where do I sit relative to women Mm. and um, helped me, gave me a lot more wisdom of what it's like to be a woman, which is um, a really, really profound thing. Um, So you got a deep dive into the dynamic of feminine versus masculine energy and how they're balanced. Um, and actually in order to see the balance, I had to go through the most unbalanced situation. I got, I got raped. Hmm. Like metaphorically in the, in, in the ceremony spirit, while you were in the spirit. In, yeah. in the spirit moment, I was a f- female. Hmm. I was a woman and I had to go through childbirth. I had to go crazy for freaking ice cream. I had to go through nine months of back pain. I, I men it is so so good to be a guy. Mm. I would I say it all the time. I I I'm telling you childbirth. Uh-uh. Yeah. I do not want to sign up for that. That is not that is no that is no joke and it's not just birth but it's also all of it. Like when a when a woman is, women are vulnerable all the time. Like they, they, I think we walk around not realizing like how chemically they're going through a radically different experience than we are all the time. We're, we're, I mean, we are equals in a lot of matters, a lot of matters. It's just that their experience of life is different. That's all I'm going to say, okay? I don't want to say that women are in a different place. I'm not going down that place in society. There's, in fact, like, women in, 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 in my workplace, they hold strong leadership roles. And men know very quickly that locker room talk and sexual harassment, zero strike policy, you're out of here. Yeah. Like... There's a lot of ways that men carry themselves in this world that is just not okay with me. But I want to just share my experience that what it takes to be a woman, minus all the societal like effects and what family have has placed on them and what men have placed on them, just being a woman in a woman's body, holy cow, whoa. That is like mind-blowing, complex, and it gives me a lot more compassion and also a lot more admiration. Like I'm, I don't want to say I aspire to be a woman, which nowadays, hey, people are signing up for that ride. But I am <laughs> inspired by um, by what it takes to be a woman, especially a single mother. Yeah. No, there's nothing. There's there's I've very got few some rules. really really good close personal friends that are single moms and they do a tremendous job. It's just holding the male energy and the female energy in a household 
especially whether you're married or not, because just simply because society has set us all up for the man and now women to be out of the house. And now what does that have on the person who's just in the home? Right. You could be a single parent and be a father, but now you get to hold the feminine role as well for the children. It's just really, it's a really, uh, it's a really tasking thing. And it's, it doesn't mean that it can't be done, but long story short, it's, it's just women nowadays have to hold so many different spaces for so many people in the midst of their own body always continuously chemically changing. And it's just like, you know what? I think a lot of men need to stop, realize like what's going on in their world and just give them a hug and look at them in the eyes and just love them. Yeah, no, correct. <clears throat> like it. it's taken me, it's taken me, you know, my 46 years to get to the point where I understand that now. And, you know, absolutely psychedelics have helped me definitely reconnect with my, you know, feminine, masculine energy dynamics and, and understanding and having empathy for humans. Like I yeah. didn't have empathy forever, like yeah. zero empathy. Yeah. And, uh, was the same. Ha having that now is, is, is a valuable gift. And I agree with, you know, the, having that ability to recognize what they do. The only thing that I would add to that though, is, um, I would say it's also, it's a, it's a two way street and it's important to, yes, not only recognize when women are like in that moment and you need to just like be there and be supportive and not just keep your fucking mouth shut and just be supportive, you know, be, be loving, be empathetic, be supportive. I do with my girlfriend, Kate right now. She's had, she's had some, some emotional challenging days and I've had to just be super patient and be like, okay, this is just where you're at right now. And I love you anyway. And, and be there. Uh, but then there's the other side that I've noticed too, that's super important for men to also recognize when to hold the line and hold the boundary Absolutely. so that you're not a punching bag Absolutely. or you're not being manipulated. Um, because I've seen that as a trend in my, in my past. And that's usually that particular instance is usually with an unhealthy relationship. But for the most part, those are two things that you have to always read the, read the room, read the energy and keep aware so that you can show up and be supportive, but also, you know, show up with your masculine energy because that's highly respected and needed by women when they are acting up and they know it and they need, they need a boundary. And, and I think one of the reasons why I was in such a dark place was because it was at a time in my life where there was, and it continues to be not a lot of room for men just to be men right and that the opposite we're now living in a time and place where a man is not necessarily a hero in our community's journey but is something to really uh dismantle when like look i get that there's been some negative effects of let's say the patriarchy but that doesn't mean that we've got to absolutely crush and get rid of it you know, if we want to make room for everyone, well, that includes men too. And we've got something to share that sometimes, and sometimes we open our mouths and we say stupid shit and I get it. But sometimes, you know, like we say things that, um, are really meaningful and are worthy of being heard. Hmm. And if we're left not being heard, well then guess what? I don't care what war we're talking about. We got 40,000 young men who are committing suicide every freaking year. We got 100,000 people 
who are who are dead due to overdose and that doesn't count the number of young adults who are now hooked and permanently disabled due to fentanyl and all these crazy drugs we 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 are leaving a lot of people in a position where hey you know what this is what makes everyone feel good this is our values but we're leaving behind people and realizing maybe we're not staying absolutely true to our values by leaving a huge segment of society behind and you know my mother she was way 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 ahead of her time she without being feminist was a a woman who could beat men up she was a board of director for a stainless steel company in a man's industry. Women loved her. Hmm. While my brother and I saw this and said, well, you don't know what it's like in our home right now. And it's not pleasant. But, you know, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean that she was needed in a time when a male-dominated industry needed to have room for a more balanced perspective and more diversified perspective, including women. And that's a great thing. But for, for, for it to be totally diversified, it needs to all be heard from the perspective of women's strength being a woman, not women's strength trying to be more like men. Hmm. And it's like, look, that's, that's, and then, and then on top of that, leaving men behind. And uh, well, de- the con- the constant demonization, and people m- like misusing, you know, the, the toxic masculinity, like weaponizing it and using it inappropriately, you know, which is a it's it's a big it's a big problem nowadays. Like it is, and it's there's a fine line I think between emasculating men and and do- over being over domineering and dominating women, and I think like it it takes both men and women to like do a good job to observe where the line is and to act accordingly. And we can't, to your point, continue to emasculate men on one side um, and, and isolate them and alienate them and push them away to where they feel like they don't have a voice. And on the other side of that coin, we can't have toxically masculine men like being overbearing and shoving women in a box where they have no voice and they're unheard and they're being, you know, told every move to make and, you know, inequity in the job market and all, all of the things that are, you know, big problems and things that we need to be aware of. Like there's a, there's a fine line there. And I think it takes both, both sides of the, you know, both sides of the equation to, to recognize those things and do a good job to make sure the other, you know, other people are heard and, um, being heard is so important, you know, being validated and not in a, not in a egocentric sense, but like being validated in your feelings about a particular you know, a particular thing. There's nothing that sends me to the red faster than being, uh, when I'm not heard and I'm invalidated and I'm gaslit and, you know, (laughs) I I can't, I can't stand those things, you know? Yeah. So, so, okay. But to, so, so (laughs) your, so your first night was of ceremony was cleansing, you know, having this, this, you know, this playful interaction with the, with, you know, ayahuasca in the spirit sense. And then, having these things that you needed healed in you. And then the second night was this journey where you got to really dig deep and really hone and develop your empathy around feminine energy. What was the third night? 
Because you said you sat for, what, five nights? I sat for five nights. What was the third night? The third night, um, yeah, it was not It was not intense. It was light. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, it happened so long ago that I, <laughs> I don't have any strong recollection. I'm sure mid-conversation is going to come back to me, but the the lessons that I needed to learn and the the things that I needed to take away happened on on those two nights. Okay. And I think the 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 I, I don't mean to steer this conversation in no, any. No, it's fine. Yeah, but I'll stir it back where it needs to go. Don't worry. Right on. But I think the 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 other major turning point actually happened outside a ceremony for me in those ten days. And it was on the last the last day. So. After every ceremony, the thirty of us would um, would would all take turns sharing what happened and what did we learn from the previous mm. night. And it was it was <laughs> it was not really great to hear everyone's perspective and everyone, of course, laughed about like what happened to me on my my second night. But but um. But it was also really funny too, because I mean, some of us were really struggling, having stayed up all night long, and you know, trying to stay awake for each other. And it, but ultimately, it was a great space for for everyone to kind of like collect our thoughts and also collect our wisdom and hear each other's perspective and just leaving each other heard. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after five days, um, there was uh, one last group and group gathering and i remember it was my turn to speak and the topic at hand was like well what are you going to do to integrate what you learned like it's now a period of integration and what came out of my mouth i had no idea was going to be so powerful but in that space the universe heard exactly what i said and delivered in tenfold and i said well in order for me to integrate all that i learned i have to disintegrate from all that i'm surrounded by right now back home and i have to quit my job and i have to get rid of all these possessions that are running in my life and some of them were great you know some of them were just material and not bringing me real joy um, the friendships that were not really helpful and supporting when I called and I needed help. And so <laughs> I came back home and when I say the universe tenfold, I mean, man, it was nail biting. I had, um, I mean, I had I'd gone through the test. Number one, I had this interaction with my mother. Oh yeah, isn't that wild? How like you immediately, within minutes of leaving ceremony, you start getting tested. Uh, it it it's was happened wild. to me every single time. So um, so let me let me couple key couple couple key things. There was this, I I got I got a chance to meet some of the most incredible people in this ceremony, hmm. but there was this one very odd guy, very odd, strange looking very thin, tall. And, uh, my only interaction with him was that in the middle of the night in the, after ceremony, while he was still going through the marea, he bumped his foot so hard 
on his way back to his little cabin that he 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 really injured his foot. He was really swollen. And so I'm um, me speaking fluent Spanish. I, I went out and I I found a couple of things from the from the people who are caretakers of the space. And I came back and I took care of his foot. And by taking care of his foot, I mean, I actually was like on my knees and I was like, you know, tending to his foot and he was sitting there watching me. And uh, there's actually like a really powerful lesson in life that is part of of like a, a bodhisattva, mm-hmm. bodhisattva point of view and uh, to, to, to really empower the world, you have to empower, to be empowered and to be enlightened, you have to empower and enlighten everyone else. any rate, um, one of the ways through that is by cleaning somebody's foot or just like letting somebody clean your foot and you will really get a chance to feel humility in a really strange way. And so I, but I was just doing my thing cause I wanted to help this guy out. And, uh, any rate, that was my only interaction with him. I, I knew his name and just made sure that his foot was okay. And he was, he was, he was feeling significantly better. Anyway, fast forward a couple days, he and I just happened to be sitting next to each other in this plane ride. And I, and I didn't realize it at the time, but this guy later in my life turned out to be m- my brother. Hmm. He ended up being the guy that living, he's from Australia, from Melbourne, more specifically Geelong. I told him I was going to go to his country and he's like, mate, when you come to Geelong, I want you to come hang out with me. And I'm like, all right. And so, and he gave me his number and after that plane ride, never saw him again. And, and I'm in Australia like months afterwards and I'm like, hey, Ron, I don't know if you remember me, but I was that guy that you gave a number in the plane ride. And he's, and I'm like, I'm now in Melbourne. And he's laughing. And he's like, come to this yoga class. I'm coming. You're going to be there. Come with me. And so I did. And six months, I'm living at on his couch. And I happened to come up with this invention to take a shower. Uh, on on his farm. When did the purchasing of the troopy happen? Dude, that happened in 2017. Okay. So I'm fast. I'm going way fast forward. But 2016 ceremony, come back from Peru. That guy I later meet. I'll put a pause button on that story. I come back home to San Francisco. I'm looking at one of the best bosses a guy could ever have. And I said no to my job. I said, I unfortunately said, said, no, I'm not going to continue working for him. I had the best bosses. I mean, the three guys that were working for him were amazing people to work for. I have really awesome, great influences in my life. And I said, I, I need to let go of all of this hard work that I've put in and I need to take a break. And I sold everything I owned and lived in Houston and I uh, had an interaction with my mom which is a little personal um, but it was one that was unacceptable and I later asked her can you help me understand why do you think that was okay and she kicked me out of the house she's like get your lawyers fuck you and at the same time, and by the way, you know, I was about to take off to Australia. I had, 
made a major transaction to consolidate my bank accounts. I had a one-way ticket to Australia with a one-year visa. I had two firearms I was trying to get rid of because, I mean, why would I have this stuff anymore? I'm getting rid of it, including all my bikes, right? As my buddies, like, well, how did you get rid of your firearms? And they're like, oh, yeah, guntraders.com, texasguntraders.com. And I'm like, all right. Well, I looked into that. It was like kind of like the Craigslist for gun trading. And so you can create a listing for 30 bones. And you can, I was like, okay, well, I'll make another $100 more than, let's say, a pawn shop. So, so I got a text, meet me at this academy uh, parking lot. And I pull up next to in the back of this parking lot next to this like double tinted window, black suburban car. And I had, I had, I had my, I had my Glock fully unloaded in the box, blah, blah, blah. And a medical device guy, you have to be polished with your documentation. And so, you know, I wanted to stick to the law, I obey and honor the law. And so I walk out and this is really salty guy. He comes out and he's like, where's the Glock? And I'm like, well, it's in the passenger seat in a box unloaded before I can sell it to you. I need to make sure who am I selling it to? So can I please see your ID? He gives me this really cheesy made up, like anyone can make this up plastic card that said retired officer. And I'm like, Oh, well, thank you for your service. Um, but I need to see your, your 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 license to ensure that you are you're a resident and he's like all right and so he reaches in his pocket and he takes it takes out his texas driver's license and i'm like uh and by the way i mean is are you going to own the gun he's like i'm gonna no i'm gonna give it to my son and i take a pause and a moment is like well are have you checked that your son is not a felon and that he's at least 18 years old in texas and all this stuff Cause I'm going through this checklist. I want yeah. him to initial it. And he's, which was like, like that was not the norm. I mean, I'm a weirdo, I, whatever. I freaking wanted to do my checklist. Cause I knew it was not a right mind at this point in my life. And I wanted to take this firearm seriously. And I want to make sure it was good to be in the hands of the right person. And so this guy's getting frustrated with me and I'm like, and I didn't know why I was doing this. There was no need to, but I was, I had both IDs in my hand so I decided to just read out loud what 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 the name was on one ID and read out the other and then read out his age on one ID, his birthday, and then read out the other and then read where it was. And he all of a sudden grabs the both IDs. He snatches them out of my hands. And he's like, I don't like how this deal's going down. This is over. And I'm like, you bet your sweet ass is over. I'm. This is my gun. I'm selling it to you. And if you don't want to respect the way I'm selling it, you can just fuck off. Right. Plus, you have some accountability that you're not selling that to somebody that's <clears throat> going to do bad things with it, or it's not a straw purchase for him to like go sell that on the street to a to a criminal or something like that. So you did you did the right thing. So he pulls off, and then I'm in the back of this empty parking lot. Another car pulls really slowly up in front of me tinted windows i look at its license plate and i'm laughing i'm like oh my gosh i know what this is it's a sting i call my brother and i'm like you won't believe what just happened it was a sting operation oh that was really funny and i thought it was done far from it hmm. these guys followed me police officers <laughs> all night long 
I went as far as, I mean, when I say follow me, like they're parked in front of the house. They're, 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 they're chasing me on the Uber app. They get this that night. I was like, well, something's going on. I pulled up the ATF report to the federal government asking for more budget because their operations are not big enough or not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and one of the things that I discovered in that is that they, what they wanted to do with the budget? They wanted to create more pawn shops hmm. to find people who are, and what is this all for? Well, this is to combat the drug war in Mexico with all the cartels, because we want those cartels to get cleaned up. Mexican government's coming back and saying, well, it'd be easier if you're if your gun laws were tighter because all your private gun sales are going straight into the cartels and they're being armed to the teeth. So how's about you get your shit in order and then we'll take care of our cartels. So anyway, that's the justification. But long story short, what's wild is, um, I'm in this, um, I'm in this sticky predicament because the ATF has pawn shops and there's no pawn shops that you can validate are licensed to buy or sell guns. You don't know which one's the good one. So I decide in my logic, funny as it is, to go ahead and just give it as a charity to the police station so that they can just use it for training or use it for whatever. I had a Benelli 12 gauge and a Glock. Um, and and so I called the police station the next day. I was looking back like hilarious. I'm like, can you guys receive a gun in charity? I just don't want these na- the, the numbers on my name anymore. Yeah. And they're like, the guy's like, hold on one second. Some dude pissed off five minutes later of waiting is like, what the hell? Are you serious? All right. Here's how you do it. You show up to the police station. This station, you can show up at any time, but you got to have it the, 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 the gun, no rounds in an empty box and then put that box in another box and then show up at the security scan and tell them what's up. Anyway, next morning I'm out there (laughs) being the absolute nerd, not even knowing like, why am I doing all this? I didn't really care at this point to have these things. And so I show up at this police station and these two officers who are doing security checkpoint at the front of the station were like, what do you want to do? And they're making, they're asking, and I'm like, look, these are, these are two guns. I just want to donate. I just don't want these under, under my name. And the guys were laughing. They had no idea. In walks this gray-haired, well-decorated man in uniform, and these two officers are like, "Hey, chief, come over here." And chief walks in, walks up to to the three of us. And they're like, this guy wants to donate his guns, but we have never done this. Like, how do we process this? And the chief looks at me and he says, he's like, dude, I, I see what you're doing. But here's the thing. If we take your guns, we got to destroy it because we're not supposed to receive them. But if we destroy it, it could have been destroying evidence for a federal crime that just happened. He's like, dude, just go down the street, go to a pawn shop and just sell these guns. Don't don't donate it to us it's it's really a big problem for you and for us and i'm like well which pawn shop and the guy's like just just the one down the road it'll be fine and then in that moment a civilian 
in plain jeans and shirt right behind me says, I'll buy those guns from you right now. I'll write the bill of sale. Just take it back to my car with me. Let me let me buy those guns from you. He had no fucking idea what's in those boxes. And I'm like, who are you? And then the police officer that saw me at the security checkpoint, he follows me for 30 minutes trying to convince me to sell it to him. Like he's getting talked in his earpiece. Mm. His, his demeanor totally changed. I take it to the pawn shop, sell it. Next day, I fly to Australia. TSA checkpoint, held there for 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, that was before a check-in. At check-in, the guy who was looking at my tickets was like, I can't give you these tickets. I don't know why. I don't know why this is giving me an error. Hmm. Yeah, they had you on hold so that they could check the serial numbers and make sure that they weren't party to any investigation, probably. They, they probably had, thought you were trying to offload things that had been used in a, guns that had been used in a crime. And there was a one-way ticket, a ton of cash, um, or a huge value of cash was getting transferred from one bank account to another. I mean, the red flags over the federal government was, like, really high on, yeah. on me. And I was just a clean, good old nerdy kiddo who wanted to escape for a little while and take care of myself. And right at San Francisco at the airport going to, uh, to Australia, I, um, yeah, yeah, there, there was like, it was just that one, it, it was, it was a PTSD that was relived just like the country that I escaped where I almost, well, I was got rolled up pretty much ready to go to a prison. Yeah. And so long story short, I escaped this country by hair, yeah. this country. I was nearly rolled up into a sting operation that for lack of better terms, takes innocent civilians who are selling one firearm. And by the way, I only posted the Glock. I was going to give the Benelli to my brother mm -hmm. and that one firearm was enough to make me fifty thousand no five hundred thousand dollars poorer. Absolute felon, labeled a firearms trafficker. Mm, yeah. And it was all on the same innocent site where people were buying and selling guns. I'm gonna say this straight up, like the hardest, most dangerous part of owning the guns was when I was trying to get rid of them. And I'm I would to sell them. Huh? When you were trying to sell them and get rid of them. When I was trying to sell them and get yeah. rid of them. That was the scariest thing. It was wild. And, uh, so yeah. you make it through that. Make it through the airport. They finally let you through. You get to Australia. And then actually, rewind, I actually landed in New Zealand to hang out with another friend. He was up to no good. I thought he was a friend. But, yeah, that was that was not a good time either. And then you get to Australia finally... When does the troopy come into play? Yeah, so I'm in Sydney in a super cheap-ass hostel. Um, and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And I was just cruising Gumtree. And uh, after, like, a couple of weeks, um, I found this posting on Gumtree. And I was, like, cruising it on, like, every three hours. And this posting just arrived. And it had, like, this most beautiful decked-out interior ready to roll in 1989 Toyota Land Cruiser gorgeous 
and it was Newcastle, a couple hours north. And I immediately called this guy and I said, do not sell the Troopy. I'm coming up to check it out. And uh, that's when my life was about to change for the good. I had no idea. I had no idea. So you got your hands on the Troopy. And then what was the first thing you did after you bought it? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's a really good one. Well, yeah, no, I just took her to the beach and listened to the sound of the water hmm. with the with the two rear doors wide open and uh, just chilled out in Newcastle for a while. I mean, look, she, she looked like she was stolen from a museum. I mean, she was in immaculate shape. But um, the vehicle was sold in Maitland, slightly inland of Newcastle. So I went to Newcastle. And there were some things that were missing. I needed to have a fridge. Um, after a couple of weeks, I realized that I didn't just need a solar panel. I actually needed some shade. So I bought a huge honking solar panel. Not, I mean, obviously the energy was primarily a primary reason, but really I needed some shade on that roof because it was hot in the back of that thing. And um, yeah, I just put my spear gun and started moving my books in there and yeah no, and then I you lived in that around. thing for how long a total of a year um six months of which were on the road with the intention of doing the lap around australia and then the other six months not doing the lap but living in a farm shed in the back of my troopie and uh in this farm shed this guy had all these tools and he let me tinker my life away when I was possessed by this question, how do I make the most of every drop of water? Because by that point I was smelling like a burning dumpster and I was sick and tired. I mean, you know, showering and it was not a matter of like convenience or something I wanted. It was a safety issue for me because all the sweat and the grime, it caused my sleeping bag to get really sticky and that was like a pretty cold sticky night's sleep and that was always uncomfortable so I'd wake up tired and now I'm fatigued and now I'm dozing off when I'm supposed to keep my eyes on the road and and I was just not having fun and you know when I was free diving out in the water spearing and doing my thing I mean I would come back frigid cold and so you know I, I needed to get warmed up real quick you know, and sometimes I'd be out in the water for hours. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I was also not adequately, you know, I didn't have enough food in me to generate enough heat quickly. I don't know if that really makes any sense, but I just needed more food. But most importantly, I needed to feel warm as quickly as possible. And so I just immediately, like, just crawl in the back of my troopy where it was really nice and hot. But, but, um, but yeah, like, the troopy was, was, was everything to me and I mean the, there's a couple things that happened not only was I able to isolate myself and reconnect with nature and do what I love and just take a break and just do something that was really uncomfortable for me because I up to that point had a really hard time relaxing my friends mm -hmm. like would say like dude just relax and I was just like no I want to go do fun stuff I want to go you know do cool things with my life and learn new stuff and take classes and 
go sailing or go run a marathon or whatever the hell. And not like I was good at any of it, but I was just always actively doing and learning new stuff. And so for me to like lay around in the back of a van and pause was freaking weird. It was not comfortable for me. I was not wired for that. And, um, and so that was a hard adjustment to be honest with you. Um, but the thing that really amazed me about that vehicle was that unbeknownst to me, buying that vehicle immediately means that I was part of a cult. <laughs> and I'm telling you the troop carriers of Australia, which is a Facebook group, all of those legends, they had no idea. And I told you this when I first met you, yeah. those guys had no idea. They saved my life. They saved my life. There was a, I was still really, I told myself there was a, there was a place in Australia that a business trip prior to all of this, I had a chance to visit. Um, so it was in 20, maybe, gosh, it was 2009, 2010. I had to go to Australia for a business trip and I knocked out everything I needed to do. And I happened to have another weekend. Um, and so I rented a motorcycle and I went along the, um, the gosh, what is the name of the highway along the South side? But it was in Geelong. It was, I started in Melbourne and it goes to this point called the 12 apostles. And so I just wanted to do a day trip to the 12 apostles and back and, and the 12 apostles on picture, I was like, man, that looks unbelievable. Uh, these huge vertical towers mm -hmm. coming straight out of the water. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I have to check this out. So I go out there and um, it was a moment I would never forget for the rest of my life. I remember seeing this place and I looked and stared out with like this amazing overlooking view with these 12 towers, islands, hundreds of feet high in the sky. It looked like something from Star Wars was unfolding in front of me and the weather was perfect. And, and I stared at all of this and there was a moment that I was like, that's it. That's it there's 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 no debate god or shem whatever whatever word you use god exists there's just no doubt in my mind anymore because there's no man who can possibly conceive something so beautiful something where so much is happening something so powerful god there's no man that could conceive so much happening. It's at one place and one time. So you had this like big spiritual moment. In that it, it was, a, it was a moment for me. And so fast forward, I'm in Australia in this troop carrier and I was still, I was still having a hard time. I was still struggling. I was especially struggling after letting go of everything and not even knowing what I'm going to do with my life. And, and, and so I had this powerful experience with ayahuasca. And so I had this really strange moment where I was like, you know what, if I'm going to end my life anywhere, it's going to be at the 12 apostles. And so I had a quiet agreement with myself. Like if I can't let go of this pain, if I don't get healed, I'm going to just end it there. And it just so happened to be 
uh, the Troop Carriers of Australia, Ron Harris and his family, and an important conversation with a guy in Austin, Texas named Doug Evans and a guy who's pretty much like a brother to me, Ben Kogut, who, I mean, all of them said, go talk to a therapist. And I had a, I did that. And I continued the hard work that was needed. And uh, most importantly, um, along the Ocean Coast Highway, there's Geelong. And my intention was just to stop at Ron's place in Geelong. He introduced me to his family. I was going to continue going on to the Apostles, which was going to be like another half day. I was almost to the 12 Apostles. And Ron, he's like, he introduces me to his family. They gave me a meal at the dinner table, sitting around with his family, who's, you know, being like a typical, fun, outspoken family. And they said, like, you are more than welcome to stay here as long as you want. And I, I, I didn't ex- accept it. I just, I drove in the opposite direction away from the 12 apostles for two weeks. And then I came back because I, I was like, they don't want me here. They can't, I, I, I don't think I want to be in their way. I don't want to bring their in this energy. And Ron's like, no, 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 no. Let's go for a run. Let's go do some workouts together. Let's, and he's got this nonprofit that's helping people who are addicted to drugs get new therapy through sport and so he gets these footy games organized where guys get uniforms and it doesn't matter what walk of life no matter where you are in your life you know like we're gonna all play footy for a couple hours and you know and cheer each other on and have you know pizza afterwards and so I I I didn't play footy I was too scared to play that sport that stuff is crazy (laughs) so but um, I'd hang out with them on the sidelines watching these guys who you could tell, like, they were in a rough place in their life. And I'm like, man, you know, something happened before I called Ron. And um, and uh, I had the head of my diesel engine, uh, the gasket on the head broke. And, and so the engine was overheating. And so I had to do some serious engine work. And um, Universe tested me one more time. I had to leave my troopie in this diesel repair shop outside of outside of Melbourne, excuse me. And uh, the guys were like, yo, like we're about to rebore. I mean, while we're here, we're going to do some s- serious engine overhaul. And it's a 2H engine. So, you know, I mean, it was approachable. But, I mean, it's stuff that I was like, I didn't, outside of my skill set. But also, they, I needed a diesel engine mechanic to work on this. And so they, they said, like, this is four weeks at least and ended up being five so i was like shit did not have the budget for this forked over the leftover money i had and had to stay in a hostel and so i looked for hostels and most of them were like 75 50 bones a night well there's this one place that was 20 bones a night am I, is it all right if i keep going with this yeah keep going man <laughs> okay, yeah, okay cool absolutely so <laughs> yeah it's your journey man i'm just here for the ride <laughs> he's still awake y'all yeah <laughs> I hope y'all are doing okay too. But long story short, 20 bones a night. I was like, great. Happened to be close to this really great market and a couple of cool things that I really loved about Melvin. And um, so I stayed in this hostel. I was like, the first night was just horrible. Guys were like snoring. I was like, give me the freaking out of here go into another room sleeping in like this living room and long story short i uh 
I, uh, I, I, I later discovered why this hostel was so cheap. It was a racket. It was, uh, there was a drug lord living in the very top. He was a really odd man. And uh, they were just hooking people up. And, uh, you know, they had these small little fun gatherings and events and full moon parties. Well, yeah, that's a pretty easy way to get people hooked. And I just followed my gut intuition and signed myself up for some other things instead. And long story short, I lived in the park bench for a while because I couldn't be around that. Ron's mother. So it's a racket basically letting people stay there for cheap to like party with them, get them hooked on drugs and then start selling them drugs. Yeah. Like on the surface, it's a hostel, but in the reality, like people would drive up and that's where a lot of drugs Mm -hmm. were being managed. And yeah. So then how long did it take you to get your, get back, get your troop back five weeks? It took me five weeks. So you were just like living on this park bench. Like you went to this hostel and you were living on a park bench for like five weeks. No, no, no. For just a couple of days. And then Ron's, Ron's mother who had a, vacation and she lived real nearby Melbourne she gave me she gave me her bed to stay while she was gone for a little while so you had um yeah it's just yeah it was just a really strange place so then Troopy gets sorted Troopy sorted then then where did then what happened I went back to Geelong Mm -hmm. I decided you know I was going to go ahead and stay with the family for a little while a little two little kids Boomer and Mackie J freaking most adorable little kiddos. Um, I ended up helping Lainey and Ron take care of them while they let me, you know, just crash at their place. Um, On this huge paddock, huge farm, um, not only was Lainey and Ron and Boomer and Mackie J living there, but also Lainey's parents. And so, yeah, Ken... He um, he ended up being perhaps one of the most influential people in Australia, not only for the country of Australia, but also for me. He went to the Supreme Court in Australia to really help fight for mental health for vets. Good. And he, being a vet, also had some PTSD, and he wanted to make sure no one went through that again. And this guy who is a Jalon cat fan. He's got a prosthetic leg that's got like, that is like pretty much embroidered with this, uh, Jalon cat logo. It's a footy team that's nearby. And he, he's just the kindest, most Aussie man that I've ever met. And he's a true friend. And he had also this really interesting mindset of tinkering and inventing new ways to manage what he was managing on the paddock he had to because most farmers had to exercise a lot of common sense to fix problems or get your neighbors to help you and so so at any rate i was helping him and his son i was sanding decks for some money and i was um getting rid of rabbits that were destroying paddocks for a neighbor and chasing after them not literally chasing after rabbits but throwing things down holes that would get them to to leave and then covering up the holes. And I was just doing a lot of farm work, basic stuff. I was chopping a lot of wood because there's a, 
anyway, a lot of a lot of fun basic stuff to help this family out and the family just adopted me and you know um Ken he had this shed full of tools and uh and and he saw this problem I wanted to solve and he and I would just always have coffee together and just talk about life and talk about what's up and I and I would you know because he had a tinkering mindset I shared with him this idea and he's like oh yeah and he would hear him, he would watch him think out loud, like quietly in his head. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, mate, that's, oh, that's good. That's good. And, and Laney would be like, if my father said that that's good, that means it's really good. And then he would come back later to me. He's like, oh, mate, have, have you thought of this? Maybe, maybe, maybe you got to draw this out. And uh, I, I wouldn't do his and accent so, and justice. And so then, so this is where you started to ideate the product. Exactly. Okay. And so then how many... How many versions did you go through in the woodshed before you finally came, yeah. before you finally mocked something up that was like, you're like, oh, this, this could have some legs. Yeah. Yeah. I, six months, six rounds of prototyping, waking up in the middle of the night, freezing ass cold. It's, it's cold in Geelong and, uh, be in the middle of the shed in the middle of the freaking night, just possessed, possessed. I wanted to see this work. Like, my life depended on it. I wanted to see what could be done to make the most of every drop of water. And uh, on this, and every time I would introduce the prototype to someone, and they'd give me feedback. It was a third prototype. I had this, like, foot pump, and I was air pressurizing it. And every time, it would freaking pop and explode. And I'd get pissed. And it was the third time I was trying this air pressurized way, kind of like the Nemo, fo Nemo foot pump. And... After the third time, I said, you know what? F fuck it. And I cleared all this desk space. And I'm like, I'm fucking starting all over. And uh, and and so I was like, I got to take a new approach. None of this shit's working. And it, took, it's, it was a brave move for an innovator to scratch everything that you've worked and invested on. And say, screw it. You're going to do it again. And... After the sixth round of prototyping, landed on something that was was on the mark. It was good. And then, so then what was the genesis from there? So now you have this thing that you're like, okay, this is it. How did you leave things in Australia to get here? Like how to yeah, walk, yeah. walk me through the yeah, process yeah. of like that moment to you sitting in this chair right now. So there's this, so Home Depot, there's this place Kind, almost identical to Home Depot called Bunnings. Mm -hmm. And during the six months I was prototyping stuff, I would be going to Bunnings and I would get all this raw material to tinker and come up with something else. Which, by the way, like people looked at this crazy man, hairy, looked like a foreigner, spoke foreign, and is like, I mean, and it looked like I was making a pipe bomb. Mm -hmm. with all this stuff and like i had to reassure people like it's all good we're and so i made friends at this local bunnings and i was it was really funny and at any rate i would i would uh i would make this and i posted this final prototype on um on the troop carriers of australia website uh excuse me facebook page and i showed them i made this cheesy video and i showed them and and 160 guys reply 
and then I and then I decided, you know what? Cool. I think I think I got an idea here that might work. And I decided I'm gonna go to the winter ramble with this thing. So I go out to the winter ramble and uh I I I park this spray painted sticker label gray geyser on it and I'm showing all these people this idea and yeah and you know I had like some of the greatest legends loving this idea they agreed to take a picture with it and one guy who later became my first customer Ivan Biskin Hmm. who uh, introduced Alucap to Australia now peak off-road equipment okay. he uh he's he he continues to sell our product he was the first distributor and retailer to say get this going this product is a win you gotta get this going and so uh i went back to geelong after that winter ramble and i said okay this is an idea we're gonna we're gonna start a business and originally i was gonna start it up in australia i pulled an a abn number which is like an ein number yeah. and I mean, I couldn't do it because I was not a civilian at the time. I was applying for dual citizenship because I loved that country. And long story short, um, I had I wasn't able to get my dual citizenship, couldn't extend the visa, so went back to the United States. And when I came to the United States with the intention of returning back to Australia, Australia wouldn't let me come back because I stayed quite a long time. And I had this troopy in the shed. I had all this product that I'd built up for people. And I was stuck in the last place I wanted to be in Houston, Texas, with no family. I was like, so long story short, I had to pull up all my savings, my four, my four hundred one k, my, and uh, did a Kickstarter campaign, and you know, it was effed up. I had to disappoint my first 300 customers on Kickstarter because, you know, I had built up this campaign prior to the campaign and long story short, the tooling cost that I had quoted and and got a budget for was going to cost $100,000. Well, my grandmother, who I dearly love, she agreed, okay, I'll help you with the tooling, get this thing going. She supported it. The tooling cost fifty thousand dollar deposit and then on the other side of proving that the tooling was good and done after the first shot and you approving the first parts that they send out you know you pay the other 50 percent well the other 50 percent never came because my grandmother said well i'm sorry and i'm like what she's like i i I can't give you the other 50 and i'm like what I, i if i can't get the other 50 i can't fulfill on the kickstarter campaign she's like sorry she just turned her back around to me and walked away and i was like for it took me a year and a half i was forty thousand dollars in credit card debt i was eating rice and beans in the back of this freaking sprinter van under mopac bridge i liked being there because it was at the trailhead for the green belt which was a great way to start my day and then i would use my little prototype geyser to shower while i was living in the back of this van and long story short um took a year and a half to find an investor who wrote me the three hundred thousand dollar check and it was rei that took a chance on me 
and they said we want this in all stores and the rest is really history and the rest the rest happened and i fulfilled on the kickstarter people first my first 300 customers which by the way if any of you are listening i want to say thank you so much for being patient um and i mean i told them everything that was happening as as good as well as i could and then um did what i could to keep the ball rolling forward long story short um i'm really grateful for for them just standing by my side and and uh being our first 300 and then rei giving me a chance to do what i love for the people that love what i do and yeah that's a little bit about the process after tinkering in the, the back entrepreneur of journey man i love i love the stories i love 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 the stories because how close how many times did you want to quit how many times did it get so painful you're like fuck it i'm just throwing the towel i could go back to work in the medical field yeah. and the, i could go back to medical never. engineering you never had those thoughts I, I i'll say i'll say i had moments when i threw the towel down but it was not not about i'm gonna make the most of every drop of water it's still a struggle. It is still a struggle today. Make no mistake. I mean, we got nine full-time employees. I'm responsible for keeping food on their table and they're manufacturing and working their butts off out in Montrose, Colorado. And I love my crew, but we are playing a bigger game and that requires more money. And Hey, if there's an investor who's interested in getting behind the, the new divisions that we're expanding into, which I'll share about in a bit, then Hey, you know, give us a shout or drop me an email and more than happy to send an investor deck. But I'll tell you the clear, absolute resolute answer to that. I never ever said I'm going to quit. What I did say was I'm going to quit on this investor community. I've pitched to so many angel networks. I've pitched to so many different investors. I've, actually counted because for each one that gets an investor deck i make a copy of that pdf and it just gives us timestamp. last year i counted and i pitched 161 times you know i'm the son of an immigrant family we came to this country because we're free and as a result you know my family has brought me up saying that free market capitalism is the way and I still see free market capitalism is the way but I will also say that a lot of angel networks it's just a bunch of investors who want to just every once in a while have dinner and laugh at an idea and sound sophisticated because they said no you know what there's a lot of reasons to say no mm. oh, I've experienced it I know exactly what you're talking about and for a lot of investors out there you know it's I, I kind of feel bad because I think like a lot of their journey was about pursuing and growing and making a difference for other people at the very core a lot of them got their wealth by making a difference for other people 
And now they're in a position where they have all this wealth. And that wealth, well, the easiest thing is to enjoy these new conversations and not deal with the headaches that you had before, nor surround yourself with people that you had to deal with before. And, you know, it's nice to get distracted by all these flashy things, but I'm sure there's a lot of investors out there who said, you know, one day when I get my first million, I'm going to help out the other hungry, hardworking, relentless entrepreneurs and their teams so they not that they don't go through it, what I went through but so that they know that there's people who believe in them and support them and are going to and are going to grind it out with them and 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 I don't want to say that investors um I feel bad in a way because I feel like a lot of them are getting distracted by what wealth can distract you with and they're missing out on some great opportunities not only to make a healthy return on their money but to also have really great relationships and help people amass their wealth and make a difference in a way and to be my friend matt you know he says rising tide raises all ships so yeah they're missing out on opportunities to actually be truly authentically altruistic and philanthropic yeah because i've experienced the same thing where i've been told you know i've had experiences where i've been told you know and this was early on in my dealings with like not knowing what the fuck i was doing with like pitches or decks or like how to you know how to protect my ip and stuff like that and i got told my ideas were stupid i got told they would never make money and then they would rip off my idea and they would make a they would make a variant of it, not an exact copy, but something that was like a 90% copy. And, and that happened to me on a number of, that happened probably two, two or three times. So, yeah, so I've been, I've, I've been through all of that myself and, um, it's just the, it's entrepreneurial journey. Like you cannot quit. You cannot stop. You have to keep going and you have to, those people that you're describing right now that they exist, they're out there. The people that want to help the people that, you know, the investors that are truly, uh, you know, philanthropic and altruistic they exist and they are are the people that you're describing you just have to chop through the jungle of assholes to find that one person that will that is that person and not just assholes but there's this one recent one lead investor totally ghosted me he's he presents himself and his his team as family oriented values based really very polished boom out of nowhere and a lot of it i think had to do with this tech crash and maybe he got overwhelmed with maybe a portion of his portfolio crashing and whatnot because i know the tech side of startup is going through a lot of hurt right now but i'm telling you like yeah you know what everyone's maybe some of you who are listening are like yeah well duh there's sharks and there's people who you don't want to trust out there and you know, shame on me for not trust for trusting them too much. I get that. No, I get that. But you know, I think the 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 bigger scope of this is, um, you know, we as a country need to take a couple steps back and say, what are we really doing here? What's really going on here? And I think all of this, be that mental health or helping 
drive the entrepreneurial spirit or not. Maybe we're letting go of that new, of that old American dream, whatever that is. All of this is, I see a result of people going through whatever pain they're personally going through and being at a level of dissonance where there's this divide. Like there were dividing families, we're dividing teams, we're dividing our country into two sides. And there's no, there's very little context, especially after COVID, the decency that we, I feel like we're losing here is causing more and more lack of trust, lack of a sense of opportunity by mm-hmm. working together. And I don't want to sound pessimistic. I, I really don't, but I'm just witnessing the, the behaviors in the background and saying, all right, well, I guess, I guess, I, I don't know. Is, is this workable? In, I, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're going to find out. I mean, what do I know? I don't want to claim myself an expert in anything. I'm just here to help make the most of every drop of water for three groups of people, for overlanders and those who love the great outdoors and camping, for people at home who really want to reduce their water bills and, um, you know, be able to save $500 per year on their water bills for people who are hosting large events. And then hopefully our fourth division will be hopefully the military Mm. men and women in uniform. And I'm sure a lot of people out there in the field, you know, they could, I mean, I wouldn't, um, I would be living a life in vain if I was just sitting my, on my butt, and playing video games or doing whatever nothing wrong with video games if you're a gamer by the way but like for me i think like all these men and women in uniform who fought for this freedom um that i can enjoy i feel like the best thing i can do is help solve problems that are really meaningful for people and and uh help create more jobs and help keep people engaged and i tell people men and women in uniform who say like look i can't buy you cold beer but i can sure as heck find you a way to get a hot shower when you're out there in the field and hopefully sometime by the end of this year we may have an opportunity of a lifetime so yeah i know that there's probably military members that would appreciate that me being one of them considering i didn't get a shower for 120 days during the invasion of iraq yeah and when i finally did get a shower it was with an iraqi ass hose in a uh in an Iraqi toilet. So that was my, that was my shower after 120 days. Not even a baby wipe or a body wipe. No, no. I was in mop four wearing our chem suits for chem bio suits for the first 60 days, I think. And and then it took another, let's see. Yeah. Another 60 days after that to get, to get to Baghdad and get a, a position set up to where we'd reached our limit of advance and we're able to start, you know, producing some or looking for and establishing some resources to where we could do those things. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a bit involved and, you know, we are, um, you know, we're doing what we can, um, long story short um if it could happen great and of course in the meantime you know when i say thank you for doing all that you did absolutely do it again 
and uh, appreciate it. And I'd also thank anyone who's listening. Thank you for your service. You know, like my parents, they came here with nothing, and thanks to this idea called freedom, they were able to do a whole lot more than just put food in our table and a roof over our heads. You know, and and so you know, from our family to to you and and your family, thank you. You know, it's a big deal to us. What uh, we're gonna wrap up. What kind of uh, what dad advice do you have for for entrepreneurs that wanna that have an idea that wanna watch it turn into mm. something? Dang, what dad advice do I have about like that? You know, um, I mean, first and foremost, I think the the best advice is to find others who've gone down that path. Your best therapist is going to be another entrepreneur, founder, CEO. And on that note, I'm more than happy. Just shoot me a message at Jonathan at geysersystems.com or just shoot me a message at support at geysersystems.com. And if you got an idea and you want to talk it through, then, you know, just I'm more than happy to talk it through with you. Um, I would say, yeah, if you've got an idea, um, make sure, make sure that it's truly a validated, real need. The a, a great business is built on a, the great DNA of a great need, and what a great need looks like, because we've heard that a bajillion times, is okay. the The population who's dealing with a specific problem, and if it was all solved for them, it would have a certain outcome, a positive outcome. And so make sure you don't get married to one specific problem. Sometimes we have a tendency to just jump in and say, oh, that's what's needed, when in reality there's a, a much bigger problem. And what is that? When I say in reality, I mean go interview people. Ask them what it's like. Go observe people. Go see like if somebody's got a workaround for a problem that they're dealing with, well, then a DIY means that it's a problem. Now, see how many other people are doing it, but make sure that you've done your homework and be take the extra time to interview people and ask people what is really going on. Because at first, all I really wanted was a hot shower. But after interviewing people, I realized and watching the strange things that people were doing at base camp, I was like, wait a minute, there's not enough water to clean everyone and everything. Okay, well, that's a totally different new need. And so um, biodesign at Stanford University, that helped me. Um, that was a great application to the camping industry, and that really helped drive my perspective and my direction for the product that we've got. And then, um, you know, I think last but not least, like in entrepreneurship, your weakness is going to be in the limelight. And for many people who come up with really cool ideas, you're likely coming from a certain background that might be slightly technical. You like to tinker with stuff. And that was me. I had no idea. I knew how expensive it would be to create a stainless steel tool. I had a good idea who to go to. I knew how expensive it was to get the engineering done. I knew how to create an assembly line. I knew like from a basic standpoint, like what marketing would look like. But let me tell you, man, building a brand is 
10 times more expensive than building a product. Mm. And the one thing that you have to do as a brand is make sure that you take care of people, good people. Most importantly, if something goes wrong and things will, customers need to know that they're going to be that that they're going to be taking care of you. Like you're going to be you and your team are going to be behind them when things are not working. For that reason, when you buy our product, it comes with a lifetime warranty. If you're in the middle of a trip, we're going to ship a new geyser out to the nearest post office. You pick it up on the way. And then the one that doesn't work, please send it back with the shipping return label that we got on that box or in the box. That way we can actually learn from our mistakes and actually correct them. Um, and, um, and just realize, man, oh man, it takes a lot. The most valuable way to build a brand is not only take care of them, but also leave people with an absolutely remarkable experience. And if your product leaves people with an experience that is like, holy cow, I showered using only 0.4 gallons of water. And that was an amazing experience. It was not like a dribble. Then word flies real quick. And word of mouth marketing is by far the best. And for that reason, I want to send out a huge thank you to the entire Overlanding community for getting behind our product, our team, and getting behind this idea and giving us an opportunity for your hard-earned money to keep you and your entire family and all your gear clean. Um, most importantly, thank you for getting us to the point where we are today. We're three years in and we're you know, 150 reviews on REI Strong with 4.6 stars, top-rated product. We're kicking butt, and we're having fun. Good. So it's been it's been a great ride, and, you know, if it wasn't for the overlanding community for, uh, you know, buying the geyser and telling people about it, I, would, I wouldn't be where I am right now standing across from you. So, yeah. Where can people find you? Geysersystems.com. Okay. Well, Jonathan from Geyser Systems, this has been a great conversation. Oh, <laughs> I I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, taking the time. I really like I I love the entrepreneurial journey. It's like my favorite thing to talk about because I've lived it and I'm still living it. I'm not where I'm at, right? I'm not I'm not at I haven't arrived where I want to be, and so where, I, where is that, by the way? Uh, is there a way I can help you? <laughs> yeah, I just want, I want to, uh, you know, my, my thing has been stuck in the scaling portion of, um, of my business. That's, that's where I've been. And like, as I started to scale, I got a really great investor who put in a seven figure sum and then was a snake and oh. ripped everything away. And then like oh. left me pushing my savings into the company to save it. And then I had to lay off a team of people that I had just hired and then I had, you know, unfortunate ex-wife issues that keep wearing their ugly head and she keeps playing games with my son and pulling me into court. And I keep spending a ton of money. So what that does is I, I've been put in a position running a small shop of, oh, well, do I now take money out of my company and risk jeopardizing my cash flow to go fight for my son? Or do I leave the money in the company and risk 
alienating my son or upsetting him or let, giving her giving her more rope to continue to what do what she's doing. So like, I've reached these points where I'm like starting to scale, starting to scale. Everything's looking great, uh. and then I've run into these unfortunate situations where I'm like, okay, well, now I have to I have to take the money that I was going to use to revolve uh, product for this next drop, and I now have to go to my legal team and pay a huge chunk of money to deal with that. So I have run into problems where with, with just resources and scaling and cash flow, um, by just random, like it's just random. It's randomly, these things have popped up where, you know, the, the pandemic's a perfect example. That yeah. was the other thing. Yeah, yeah. The pandemic popped up and fucked up supply chain and then fucked up cost of materials. And uh, I started to scale. Everything was great. Released this project or this particular product. We've had zero returns on it. It's sold through 300 units, over 300 units. Um, it, it, I've, do, I've done 100 unit runs every time. It sells out and like within a couple of weeks of being dropped. And then we've had zero returns on it. And then, But then what happened is the anodizing, there's a particular color that we, colorway that we use that only a few really good anodizers in the country can pull off consistently. Mm. Um, and with everything that happened during supply chain issues with COVID, we got put in a position where anodizers that could do it right were not taking us on as clients or running any more product for us yeah. because we our numbers were too small. Yeah, exactly. Like they're getting small runs. They're getting, you know, ten thousand piece POs from these larger companies. Yeah. And so when I walk in the door and I'm like, hey, two hundred pieces, they're like, dude, that's not even worth our time to tool up for. I mean they won't probably even quote you for that. No. Yeah. So I've been stuck with you know, going through these supply chain issues and then, you know, I've been through vendor after vendor after vendor who just like, I'm like, Hey, I need this color. They're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. We can do that. It's purple. No, no, no. That's not the color I need. You said you could do this. Like I need this color. <laughs> okay. Send us more. And then I'm spending money on R and D to get like, so, cause I have to get aluminum cut and samples cut to send to them so that they can ruin them and fuck them up and send me when I ask for flat, dark earth, send me chocolate brown. You know, and then they're like, that is flat, dark earth. And I'm like, no. And so, like, the, I've been stuck dealing with that. And I've been through seven different vendors to find uh. a good anodizer that will run the numbers that I, I can afford to run. So those are my challenges as a, you know, as an entrepreneur. It's like I have these small, niche products. And, and um, yeah, the, the, scaling, the scaling issues and then, and then dealing with unforeseen circumstances that pop up has created cash flow bubbles and um yeah then i had a i had a soft goods supplier that downsized during the holidays moved facilities and had a huge turnover in personnel to include the corporate staff who i was working with that had been delivering product beautifully for 10 years and they created an eight month lead time on a supply chain oh. that was supposed that i did a 45 day pre-order on i did a 45 day pre-order on it Eight months later, we're finally just getting product. And my customers were furious. And they have every right to be. Who wants to pay on a 45-day pre-order and eight months later, you get a product showing up? I, I would be furious too. Yeah. And I don't blame my customers for being upset with me. But those are, those are the challenges that I've had. And I just, you, you're absolutely right. You just have to stick with it. You have to own it. You have to keep your customers informed. Yep. You have to tell them what's going on. You have to take it on the chin, and that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. Like, if business was easy, everybody would be doing it. Absolutely, absolutely. And 
you know, there's, there's really is, there's a continuous challenge and question, like, how badly do you really want to do this? Mm-hmm. How badly do you really want to do this? Yeah. Like, do you have it in every cell of your body saying, it's, this is me. This is my true expression of who I am on this planet Earth. If you don't have that running through you, then when those times come around, if it doesn't freaking possess you, not obsess you, obsession, <laughs> if it doesn't possess you, and if you don't have effective, clear tools for communicating and bringing people together to make things happen, and if you don't have a passion for working with teams of people, whether that be a supplier or somebody inside, then it's, 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 it's that whisper of like, all right, just quit. Just, just stop. Yeah. Just stop. And I'm telling everyone on the other side, you know, we, we did well, we did well these last three years. Um, we still have a long ways to go as a company, but I'm standing on the other side of like, don't, don't stop making a difference for people when you truly see how much of an improvement it makes in people's lives. And that you, if you, if people love, do what you love for people that love what you do. And if they really love what you do, then it'll fly. It'll yeah. fly. It'll yeah. work pure it, it i think it takes just pure perseverance and 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 being patient enough to solve the 1 million problems that pop up every single day as a small business owner like you have you have to have that dynamic problem solving skill set or you have to learn it you have to learn something like my one of my favorite sayings is sometimes you got to build the fucking plane while you're flying it yeah i love that one that's it and it's <laughs> so true it so is so true. true yep so yeah i mean that that would be that'd be my my dad advice is stick with it don't quit on your dreams, man. What are you worth if you're willing to quit on your dreams? Like, power through. Yeah, I mean. Solve the problem, power through. Yeah, I, I, I laugh. I'm like, I'm 13.76 an hour. I used to command well over $115,000 a year in my previous roles. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that paycheck for any day. Like, right here, right now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being true to myself. Yeah. I can't go back. I can't go back. There's not a way. There's, there's not a single, and you know, along the way, it doesn't mean that it was easy along the way. I've encountered very toxic people and, and, and looked up to the stars and said, listen, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to not attract these kind of people in my life. And these challenges that pop up is like, all right, let's see how badly you really want that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the journey. It's part of it. Yeah. Those are the speed bumps that are part of the journey and part of the problem solving skill set. Human terrain is part of this problem solving. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. 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 Brian, this is, this is a, a great, yeah, I, I, I really, I'm, I really divulged really shared a lot on this yeah good job i really shared quite a bit and uh you know it's really thanks to you giving a comfortable space for people to share because you've been through quite a bit yourself and i mean you and i immediately connected on a lot of great things out in australia but also some 
some things that not a lot of people have had the opportunity uh, to try or, or know or whatever, but, you know, it's, it takes one to know one, right? you know, and I, if I said things in front of you, and if you, if you didn't know it yourself, then I, I'd be, you know, it's like, well, be a tough one. You know what I mean? Birds of the feather flock together. <laughs> yeah. So man, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, we're going to get out of here and enjoy the rest of Overland Expo, Pacific Northwest 2023, and tomorrow we'll come by the booth and we will do a YouTube spot on your product, and I want a full rundown, and we're going to put it up on YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks for your time, man. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for joining us wherever you're at on the globe. We really appreciate you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all my fans. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys got a lot out of this podcast, and we will catch you next time. Peace.